All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you doing? Okay. All right. This morning we'll be in Joshua chapters 5 and 6. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Joshua 5 and 6. And try to get both these chapters done today. Uh, next week, next Sunday, is our baptism out at Mazingo Beach after second service. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior um, and you haven't been baptized and you want to do so before we have to break the ice to do it, this is going to be a good chance for you to do that. Um, just let me know if you're going to be there or not so I can, we, we don't want to start without you is what I mean. It's between you and the Lord. I'm not here to check to make sure you're saved. That's nothing I can do about that. I have no idea. But uh, that's between you and God. But I do want to make sure that we wait for you if you're running behind or whatever. So um, let me know if, you're, if you want to get baptized next Sunday after second service. Um, conference is coming up down in St. Joe. Uh, the Pastors and Leadership Conference. It's for anybody, though. Anybody that wants to come that loves the Lord and wants to hear. Um, it's a great conference. Good teacher coming in for that. Um, great time to learn and get away for, for, uh, to be with the Lord for a little bit, a couple days. Um, Oh, good question. It was uh, uh, Ed Taylor. Ed Taylor. Yep. Um, he's one of the guys on the CCA board, and, and uh, he's a really good guy. Calvary Chapel Association board, and um, out from, I think California is where he's from. Or no, Denver, Aurora, Colorado, that's right. Aurora. Well, he moves around. These guys move around. Uh, some of these guys do. So uh, I think he started out at Costa Mesa and then went up to Downey and then over to Aurora. All right. Joshua, chapter 5. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until uh, we had crossed over that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Now, last week, of course, God uh, allowed them to cross the Jordan finally. And this is, they're in the promised land now. They're, they're beginning their... Uh, um, their adventure uh, to conquer uh, and take the land that God has given them. God's going to um, give them all this property. And he's evicting those who live there now because of their sin, because they wouldn't repent. Um, they wouldn't uh, turn to the Lord. It says that they gave them, God gave them 400 years to repent, and they chose not to. Um, and so God said, that's fine, have it your way. So there was a lot of grace and mercy there. As we go through these conquerings, sometimes we get think, oh, God, you're awfully harsh. No, they've had uh, generations God gave them generations to repent. He was very patient with them, um, but they wouldn't. And you can't let that go on forever. It's not, it's not fair. Um, um, some people think that maybe you should uh, give a little more grace, but um, they're just raising children and more children and more children, generations of people to uh, be firewood for hell. And it's not appropriate that God let it go on. It wouldn't be just and it wouldn't be loving. So he's going to stop it. And so he sent the children of Israel in. He's going to give them their their land, and so they've crossed over. And the people melted. We knew that from Rahab's uh, commentary or her, her eyewitness account of her own people as the spies came into Rahab the harlot. She was in Jericho. And she said, yeah, we've been worried about this for years. We've seen you guys going around over there back and forth with the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke, just waiting for this day. Um, and they've been terrified. And so when it finally happens and and they see this water heap up. Remember the Jordan River stopped last week and heaped up and just uh, got built up, pressure dam upstream or whatever, and they came across on dry ground. That was very disconcerting to the people of Jericho to see that. It's a mighty river. It's at flood stage. Um, and God stopped it. Now, we don't normally uh, 
think about all the things that God does each and every day. We don't think about the hydraulic cycle, just the, from evaporation to, to rain. We don't think about that, but that's all God's hand. He does that. It's only when he does something unusual that we notice. When he stops the norm of what he usually does, that's what causes us to say, oh, that's supernatural. He's always doing stuff. The clouds, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that's happening, all the orbits, the magnetic fields, the changing, the polars, uh, the, you know, the, all of this stuff is happening constantly, and he's doing it all. It's only when he does something different with those things that we notice. And keep that in mind as you watch these birds fly and as you watch creation, it's screaming that there's a creator, a designer, a God who loves us. Um, the fact that we exist, the fact that we have thought and have ideas, and um, it's, it's all there, feelings, uh, all of those things. It just screams that there's a God. And it's only when he stops a river. <laughs> you know how small that is for him? I mean, think about how small that is for him as he throws these stars and speaks them into existence. He's going to stop one little river in the middle of one little place, you know? Um, this is so tiny. But to them, their hearts melt. And that happens to us. It happens to an unbeliever or anybody that encounters the supernatural for the first time, realizing there is a God and eyes get opened. That's what he means by that blindness that we have. We don't see it. It's just how it is. It's just what we do. We kind of go through life. And then God steps in and touches our heart in some way, and our eyes are open. And we're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. He's been around me the whole time. He's been doing things the whole time. And it's at this moment when he stops this one little river for a little bit of time so a couple people can get across. A million, I know it's it's more than a couple, but that they freak out. They've worshipped gods their whole life, but they've never seen anything like this before because their gods aren't gods. They can't do anything. But this one does. He steps into time and reveals himself. I think that's one of those things that you hear unbelievers say, we've got to just peek his head through the clouds and say, I'm here and show me that he's real. I'd worship him. You'd probably just fall dead if you saw that. If he actually did that, boo, you know. No, I don't think it would help. He's all around us. He did his, does it in a gentle, loving way. Um, shows him, here, I'm going to stop this river for a little bit. Let some people, and their hearts melted. Now, they don't have to melt. This is a choice they've made. Rahab had a choice. Everybody around her's heart is melting within them. Everybody's worried and concerned, but why? Because they will not have this God rule over them. That's the difference. She's like, if, if he's open, I'm open. If he wants, if he's looking for people, I'd love to be on his team and be on his side. And she chose his side, and God said, yeah, I'd love to have you over here. Come on over here, harlot. And he took her as she was because she had faith and trusted in him. Anybody can have that. Anybody in this world can have that. But instead, they choose to have their hearts melt. And there was no spirit in them any longer. In other words, he took the fight right out of them. Verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, uh, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt for all the people who came out had been circumcised. But all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt uh, had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war 
who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So there's the explanation. Um, he's got to do the next generation. They hadn't been circumcised. And the circumcision uh, is, was a sign that God had gave them to show uh, that you're cutting away the flesh. Uh, you're cutting away the flesh of your heart. Um, you are, uh, you're no longer going to walk in the flesh. You're going to walk in the spirit. That was the whole idea behind it. You're coming out of Egypt, and we're going to get circumcised. And the idea behind that is that is your way of saying, I am no longer going to walk after my flesh. I'm going to walk after the spirit. Well, this next group needs to have that same moment as we all do. There has to be a choice. I'm not going to walk after the flesh anymore. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to walk after the Spirit. I want to walk in the Spirit. And so they had this outward uh, showing of their faith. That he didn't care about the foreskin. That wasn't the issue, nor did it make them holy. But the cutting of the way of the foreskin showed that their hearts were being circumcised. That's what was going to happen. That they were going to have the flesh of their hearts removed. And they were going to walk in the Spirit. As Christians, we have something similar. It's called baptism. It's not... These guys have already walked by faith. They've already crossed the Jordan. And so have you as a believer. If you want to be baptized, you've already accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a done deal. Salvation's secure. The baptism just simply shows outwardly that inwardly you've died to yourself and you've risen to new life in Christ. That you're no longer going to be that fleshy person, but you're going to be someone who walks in the Spirit. It's a decision you make. So we have that in the New Testament. We don't circumcise anymore. That's no longer necessary. Um, but that was for the Jews. For us, it's different. And he says as much. In fact, Paul says several times that uh, he calls the people that would come around after him telling all the guys, you have to be circumcised. All you Gentiles have to be circumcised. He says, no, they're the mutilation. Don't listen to the mutilators. God isn't looking at that. Um, He's looking at your heart. Um, And so that's no longer necessary or required. Anyway, verse 8. So it was, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. So he gives them some time to recover from that. Um, Imagine it was somewhat painful, obviously. Um, But he's rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Uh, We've taken away that which was from the world. That's what Egypt represents. And that's what happens when we get baptized. We're rolling away that reproach. It's not something to be proud of, what we were in the world the kind of sins that we committed in the world. It's not something to boast about. Oh, when I was your age, these are the things I used to do. Wow, Grandpa, you're an amazing sinner. That's not what we're supposed to be talking about. Um, Those are things we want to leave in the dust and in the dirt and forgetting those things which lie behind and moving on with the Lord. And so um, God wants to do that. And that's what part of baptism is. Some of you want to be re-baptized next Sunday um, because maybe when you were a kid you didn't fully realize it or you want to start a new fresh walk with God and that's symbolically what you're doing. Um, You want to let that old flesh die. You want to bury it. You want to rise to new life in Christ. I don't want to be that person. I want that fresh start. I want to be roll that reproach of Egypt away from my life. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on that day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the fruit or the food of the land of Canaan 
um, that year. So that's the end of that beautiful miracle of manna that took place. And they've come into the promised land and they're eating their enemies' fruit. Okay, there's a proverb about that in Proverbs 13, 22. Um, it says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Interesting. Something to think about. Um, as a... Uh, You know, these people have been planting their crops, they've been raising their crops, and these guys walk in, and obviously when the, you know, when the people cross over the Jordan River, there must have been farmers out there or something, and they've moved back, obviously, from the, you know, nobody wants to be close. Everybody's getting sucked into Jericho, and they're going to go into siege mode. They're going to close the gates. We're going to see that here in a minute. And so here's all this grain sitting out here, and they ate it. The stored grain from last year, and some leftovers, and maybe even it's time of harvest, and they're enjoying it. That was the wicked grain but the righteous are getting it now. They flee, um, and that should be encouraging to us. Um, anyway, so there they are. That's the end of the manna, no more. It's, they're going to start eating the, the, from the land of promise that God gave them, milk and honey, and here it is. You get to enjoy it. Um, verse 13, And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? for our adversaries. So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Interesting moment here. This is called a Christophanes. This is a appearing of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It happens a couple times. Um, we had it with Abraham um, in Genesis 14.8. Uh, we had it with Jacob in Genesis 32.24 where he wrestled. Um, and, uh, and, we, and that Abraham references when uh, Melchizedek, the priest of Melchizedek, came over um, from the order of Melchizedek. He came and, and uh, a couple other times probably. I think the burning bush also, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. Um, but this is Jesus in the Old Testament showing up. I'm the captain of the Lord, of, of the army of the Lord, uh, with his sword drawn. You don't have the... We don't have a picture of him doing that. We've got him as a shepherd. We've got him doing this, you know, doing that little sign or whatever, but we don't have Jesus in full battle regalia, you know, with a sword drawn. Um, maybe the white horse picture from Revelation we do, but um, not here. This would be a good one also, a good coloring page for our kids. Because he's standing there, and Joshua doesn't know who he is. And I like the fact that Joshua goes up to him. He doesn't hide behind a rock, you know. So he sees this guy standing there with a sword drawn, and Joshua shows up, you know, Are you for us or for our enemy. He's not, he's not backing down. He has confidence in God, not in himself, but in God. No matter what this guy looks like, and I imagine he looked pretty spectacular. I imagine Jesus looked pretty good. He walks up to him anyway and says, are you for us or for enemies? I don't know who you are. The response is interesting. No. <laughs> no. Um, neither, really. You know, we join God's team. He doesn't join our team. It always has to really be ground into our brains. We join God's team. He doesn't join us. So we don't come to Christ and ask Him to join our lives to fix our lives the way we want them fixed so we can run them the way we want to run them. It's not how it works. Um, we give up our lives and we join His life uh, and we let Him live through us. Galatians 2.20 It's no longer I that live, but Christ live in me. Is the idea. It's, I, I don't ask Christ to be in my back pocket. And we may not ever say that out loud, but a lot of times we run our lives that way. 
we go about it, we make decisions, we make our call, we, we walk our walk, and then we ask God to oh, bless it. Um, and this would be a good time to remember this verse, maybe. God, are, are you for us or for our enemy? No, I'm the commander of the Lord's army, I'm for God. I serve my Father, and you serve me, is the idea. Now, granted, he's not showing up on the Canaanite side. I mean, you've got to keep that in mind. He didn't show up in the middle of the battlefield with both sides there, and they're both wondering who he's going to fight for. And he says, nope, I'm not on either of your side. He doesn't show up there. He shows up in Joshua's camp. Keep that, you know, there. He's obviously on Joshua's side. He wants Joshua to win. He wants Joshua to follow him. So um, that being said, um, they're going to do well. <laughs> I'm sure he's encouraged. Um, how do we know this is Jesus? How do you know this isn't just an angel or something? Well, let me give you a few verses here. I'll run through them pretty quickly here. There's a lot. Um, we see, uh, let's see, where do I want to be? Let's do Colossians 2.18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. Why that one? Because... Joshua bows down and worships this person, and this person receives the worship. And that's not normal. Anytime we see an angel, an actual angel, a created being being worshipped by any kind of human, they stop them and say, do not worship me. Get up. Don't bow down to me. And we'll read those verses here in a minute. But this one receives worship. Um, so we know from Scripture, from Paul's Scripture in Colossians, that we are not to worship angels. Don't do that. Romans one twenty five describes the downfall of mankind, and this is one of those steps, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Angels are created. Jesus isn't. Jesus has always been. Now here we see Revelation 22, 8-9. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Stops him right there. And he does that again, obviously, um, in Revelation, or before that, Revelation 19, which I'm not going to read, but he says the same thing to him. John has a problem. These guys, I mean, obviously, these angels are pretty spectacular to see, and when you see them, you can't help but maybe be a little awe or feel a little timid, intimidated by them. But they say, no, no, I mean, we can't help the way God created us. We may be beautiful, but we're not to be worshipped. Galatians 1.8, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. It's a warning. Paul wrote to them and told them that it's possible that angels may show up and try to lead you astray, which means they can. So don't worship them. They're not God. And then 2 Corinthians 11.14, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. That's how he's going to deceive the world. And that's how he deceives to this day. doesn't matter what they look like. It's who they represent and where they lead you. And this um, angel says, No, I'm a captain of the Lord of hosts. I serve God. And uh, this is Jesus in the Old Testament because he receives that worship. Another thing before we move on to chapter 6 is the interesting phrase he says, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. We've heard that before. Where have we heard that before? Burning bush. They're burning bush. Um, now, let me read that to you. Uh, Genesis. 
Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, uh, for he was afraid to look upon God. Uh, More than likely, that burning bush voice was the Christophanies also. It could have been Jesus speaking. Um, We see that also in Revelation, some of those things coming together. So Jesus has always been, he wasn't just born in Matthew, you know, he didn't start there. Jesus has always been, always existed. Um, there's, there's an everlasting father, there's an everlasting son. Can't be an everlasting father without progeny. So he's always been. Um, so that's a good picture of all this. So he bows down to worship. Then we don't want to miss the point here. Joshua has God on his side, and that's to encourage him. Joshua's out there by Jericho, and he's looking at Jericho. He's lifting his eyes. What's he doing out there in the middle of the night? It's dark. He's thinking. He's praying. Here we go. This is it. Strengthen me. Give me courage. Whatever. And God does. He shows up. I'm with you. You wouldn't have been able to see us necessarily. Normally, we, you know, we're invisible. <laughs> we, we keep to ourselves. We don't want, the, you know, we don't want to be like that. Um, we want to use you. We want you to get the victory. And so they stay in the shadows, basically, or, or hidden. Um, but for this moment right here, he wants Joshua to know that I'm with you. Um, and God will give you those times. Not always. He doesn't do that always for Joshua. But he shows up this time, right before the journey. Look, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to walk with you. The, all the, all the, your whole life, I'm going to be with you. Um, it just, you just need to know that I'm there. And so he gives him that moment. And we need those moments sometimes. Um, but we also need to learn that those moments, you know, are, are few and far between with God. Those uh, moments of the Holy Spirit overwhelming you, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit, those times um, when it's so clear. Um, he wants us to walk by faith. He doesn't want us always looking for him to show up with the sword to stand there. I'm not doing nothing until I, t- I see Jesus with his sword. No, no, I want you to do it because I spoke to you, because I asked you to. And so this, he, but at this moment, he gives him that, what he needs. Uh, chapter 6. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the Children of Israel, none went out and none came in. That's important because they're in siege mode. I mean, these guys are ready for battle, and Jericho and the countries around them all have armies, but they're not showing up with their armies. They're not even going to try to beat these guys. They all just withdraw. They go into the city and they shut the gates down. That's a siege mode. That's, not a, that's in a position of power, offense. That's a position of defense. And so he says to him, as he see this, all shut up in there, he says, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, When you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. So there's the plan. Nobody's going to have to lift a finger. They just have to march. Nobody's going to even pull their sword out. They're just going to march around this place. Now he's got a a system here. Um, We know who God is. Obviously, you're here this morning because you know who He is. You know what He does. You know how powerful He is. We've already discussed that. So why draw this out? I I ask those questions. So why six times? And why the seventh time? And why the details? You know? Um, And I don't know. (laughs) 
I asked and I prayed and I said, why, why six times once? Why seven, time, seven times seven times? Why do we got to be quiet? What are all these things? I ask all those questions and all I can think of is maybe they did too. But they did it. I don't have to know the why. I don't have to know the reasoning behind it. Uh, why once every six times? Some, some have come up with reasons. Well, what is is you're going to get that harmonic you know, motion as they're going around marching that's slowly breaking down the foundations of the rocks to the, uh, you know, okay, no. <laughs> no, it just fell down because God wanted them to fall down. It had nothing to do with vibrations. Um, why? It's awfully detailed. It's awfully strange. Um, the men of war practiced. They're going to do battle later with their swords. There's a lot of whys, and I don't understand, but they did it anyway. And I need to see that in this chapter. I think we all do. That God may ask us to do some things that may look foolish to the world. Imagine the people in Jericho. What are they doing? You know, marching. They didn't even lift this sword. They went back to their camp. Must not have worked. A lot of people would see that at 6 o'clock at night when they go back to their camp. I guess they're going to try again tomorrow or try again when it's all part of the same plan. They failed today. Maybe God didn't hear them. Maybe they need to pray louder now. And now they're going to come back and try it again. And they have to do this seven different times before it actually works. That's how the world would see it. But they all know ahead of time it's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen today all the way through. We've got to do all of it before it actually happens. It's a process. There's steps to this. With my walk with the Lord, there are steps um, it, it didn't work out like I thought it was going to work out. When I first got saved, I had this idea that I was going to be a pastor one day. I'd like to be a pastor, but I was really, really more rough than I am now. And I wasn't sure. I was, you need to laugh that hard, Kathy. Hey. All right. It didn't happen. I mean, I tried the route. I got out you know, of the military, and then I went into a college, and I took my classes like I was supposed to, started to anyway, and then it, and I did not finish. I went two semesters. I was on the dean's list. It wasn't because I flunked out. I did great. Um, I was older. I was a better student then, and, and I did my work like I was supposed to and paid attention, but I was arguing with them all the time about Jesus. They, they just didn't believe in God like I did. Um, these were the people that were supposed to teach me, and I was teaching them every class. You know, these are the verses that are wrong. He would write on the, on the chalkboard. They had chalkboards. I don't know if they still do or not. They had chalkboards. That's how long ago that was. And he'd write, these are the verses that shouldn't be in the Bible. I'm like, how do I get an A from this guy? Because he's not going to like me after this moment right now. Um, and he didn't. Dr. Navies, Dr. My Foot. Um, he was a failure. Um, and he was in the mission field. Imagine that. He was a missionary that had come back as a doctor to go ahead and teach this class. And he was telling us what parts of the Bible weren't supposed to be there. I'm like, man, I would not want to be in your shoes. So, wasn't the route God wanted for me? Um, man, and I took a route. I don't have, we don't have time this morning, but here I am. Um, yeah, so am I. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I did it his way, not my own way, you know. Um, I did it by his plan. This is a process. Every one of us has that. And God's going to ask you to do things that aren't what the world would think would be the next step. Um, and that's okay. Um, 
as long as God told you, that's the key. Um, God does many things. I mean, you think about, uh, um, my brain's not working. Um, oh, the judge, one of the judges with the lamp and the horns and he broke the jars. It starts with a G. Thank you, Gideon. I don't know where it was. It was back there, but you found it for me. You know, that was a weird battle. 300 guys, you got to knock it down to 300 guys, divide up into three different groups, and then attack with nothing but a lamp. It was in a jar and covered so they could see the light and a trumpet. And we're going to break them. We're all going to shout, and, and that's it. And it worked. And all the guys killed each other inside the camp. They were all confused. And that's not something you can go home and boast about. Man, they were totally slaughtered. I know. How many did you kill? None. I didn't kill any of them. And same thing here. God gets all the glory though, doesn't he? Obviously, that's what he's going for here. I want to show my strength. I want you to see my hand in this. I want you to know that you can trust me. You can pull your sword later. God's going to let him do some fighting later. But for now, I want to start this first battle off right with you knowing that I don't need you at all. I need you to obey me. But even if you weren't here, I can still knock the walls down without you walking around it and blowing a trumpet and yelling really loud. You know? And he does the same thing with Gideon. I don't need you, but I want to use you. That's the same thing he says to us. He wants to use us. And it's by his power and by his strength that he uses us. I'm up here because God wants me up here, but God can take me down at any moment. And none of us should be surprised if he does. He can remove anybody from any position and raise up anybody into any, pos any position. And none of us should be, none of our hearts should melt within us. I'm, I get worried when I see these big pastors that fall because of failure, because of sin, and their congregations are crushed. That's a, that's a problem. Uh, they thought that he was in that position because of who he was, and he's not. He's in that position because God said he could be in that position. And then, this guy had been sinning a long time. It's just uncovered at one point. And he was still in that position. None of that mattered. It was that God put him down and somebody else goes in that position. Unless you're following the man. Unless you're worshiping the person and you think there's something great or special about that person. Then you've got a problem. I, I, all because... God wants us to know He's the one doing the work in your lives and in my life. He's the one doing it. He's the one opening up the Word of God to you and you're able to understand it. He's the teacher. The Holy Spirit does that. That's why J.C. prays the way he prays. May, you know, fill J.D. with your Holy Spirit so that you can hear. Because if the Holy Spirit's not here, ain't nothing happening. You know, None of it. And so although I get to use my sword today and the Holy Spirit's present, I'm up here using my mouth and teaching he doesn't need me. It may as well be a blank stool up here and we could all still get the same thing we would have gotten if I wasn't sitting here or anybody. Well, okay, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate being in this position. Don't misunderstand me, but he doesn't need us. But he wants to use us and I'm, it's a privilege to be used. Um, it's exciting. So here's what I want you to do. Walk around. So then Joshua, verse 6, the son of Nun, called up the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, 
proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priest who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had uh, commanded, uh, commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around at once. And they came back into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, uh, went on continually, blew the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. I'm glad he didn't make me read that six times. I was thinking he was going to when I started, but he didn't. And they did this. They obeyed. I don't, don't even say a word. And you know, I don't know what they were thinking. I know what I would have been thinking because I wasn't Joshua, and I didn't hear from the captain of the Lord of hosts. All I'm hearing is what Joshua's told me to do. It would be really hard to keep your mouth shut. This is stupid. They're already scared of us. Let's just throw the ropes over and climb over. and let's, you, know, you know these guys are battle. They know what to do. Let's just do this. But they didn't. And so God tells them, I want you to keep your mouth shut. So keep that inside. All those doubts, whatever you have, keep it to yourself. Lift it to the Lord, whatever you want to do. But I want you to keep your mouth shut. And I want you to walk around and let this happen. And so they did. Now, I don't know that they felt that way. Hopefully they didn't. But there's a reason that we need to keep our mouths shut sometimes. When I'm in doubt, when I'm not sure what God's doing, I may think a lot of things in my heart, but it does not need to come out of my mouth. I need to give it to God. I need to pray, ask God, hey, you know, in any situation, whatever you want to do, God, But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, only they marched around the city seven times. So a little bit different. And the seventh time it happened, when the priest blew the trumpet, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It shall it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So there's some specific instructions there. Don't touch any of the stuff. It's not only tainted, but it's also been dedicated. You know, some of that stuff is going straight to God, going straight to be used uh, for, it's, it's, his, it's his booty, basically. He won it. You know, we didn't win anything, so don't take anything back. I want you, later on they get to, but not now. Don't do it now. Um, leave it dedicated to God. Now, they're not going to listen. That's going to come into play next week, but they're, they're at least told, don't take anything. So, The people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet that the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. 
And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, donkey, with the edge of the sword. So there they are. They get to draw their swords finally. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So they keep their word. All that to say, they did exactly what they were told her they were going to do. And anybody that was inside was kept safe. Even though she was the one with the action, anybody that stayed inside her house was protected. And then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundations with its firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. So we see God moving there in Joshua's life. And the rest of the world sees God moving in Joshua's life. And it was a blessing. Something about that Jericho, though, that city. Don't ever build it again, he says. Don't ever touch it again. Every one of us has enemies. Remember, crossing over the Jordan is symbolic for us. As Christians, we cross over. We get filled with the Holy Spirit. We begin to do battle with our enemies. But it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have victory over sin in our lives, over our enemies that come in. And once God destroys something in my life, I'm never to rebuild it again. It's accursed. If I do, it's going to bring harm to me, to my children, if I let this thing go, if I build it back up again. I don't know what Jerichos you have in your life, but I hope you get that out of today's message. Whatever God wants you to conquer in your life, whether it has or it's going to be conquered in the future, leave it dead. Leave it a pile of rubble. Walk by it every now and then if you need to, to look at how bad that was in your life and what God had done to it for you, for your sake. Use it as a, a memory stone, a remembrance stone. Remember, we talked about those. A beautiful thing that God's done in your life, but whatever you do, don't start picking those rocks up and start building those things again. We can fall into that trap. We begin to build that sin up in our lives. Maybe it wasn't as bad. Our memories fade. We forgot why we prayed so hard for God to take it away. Because we're older now. We know better. And we maybe start to build those things up again in our lives. Leave them dead. Leave them flat. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Joshua's boldness when he went up to you and asked you who you were for. We thank you for showing up and giving him the courage that he needed at that time. To show him that you were for him and with him. We thank you that you're with us. We take that home with us today. That you're doing battle for us all the time. We may not see you, but when we ask you to be our Lord and Savior... You are there now in full battle gear and you have a sword and it works and you defend us. You change us from the inside out, but you also defend us from our enemies. We thank you for that, God. God, help us to see like you see. Help us to be walking by faith like you wanted Joshua to walk by faith. Help us to do those strange things you ask us to do that the world would think we're crazy. But it's not crazy because we're being obedient to you. Help us to hear you and to do it just like you say and to not... Make any compromises. When we hear your instructions, Lord, help us to follow them to the T. Not wondering why or whatever. Help us to keep our mouths shut um, and to follow you, Lord, and to be obedient to you. We ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen.
All right, let's, if you want to come up for prayer, we'd be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a, have a good rest of the week.